0: What's a refugee, and how do they differ from economic migrants? What's an asylum seeker? What laws govern them in Malaysia and internationally? We go over the basics in this episode with Program Officer at the Naganita, Alice Arya Chen, who has been working with refugee communities for two years. I hope you find this episode useful. Hi everyone. I'm Nadine Faisal. I'm an intern at Tenaganita. Tenaganita is a human rights NGO that promotes and protects the rights of migrant workers, trafficked individuals, and refugees, women, and children uh, in Malaysia. And you are watching or listening to the podcast Invisible Malaysia, where we interview members of the refugee communities in this country as well as experts in the field to learn more about. Uh, Those refugee communities and the issues that they face. So today we're gonna have like a a FAQ kind of episode where we go back to the basics and like really understand what a refugee is Etc. And I have the pleasure of being joined by Ellis Hi (laughs) Ellis Could we start by uh, you telling us a bit about yourself?
1: Uh, So I'm a program officer with Tanaganita where I am working on the the Refugee Action Program Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's where I usually work with the Myanmar Ethnic Community, mm. uh, community-based organizations such as COBAM, which is the Coalition of Burma Ethnics Malaysia, as well as a uh, Women's Group, the Myanmar Ethnic Women Refugee Organization. Mm. But you also started uh, embarking on a refugee-led advocacy campaign with the government as well as media and public.
0: Mm. How long have you been working on refugee issues? Which is a little bit under two years. Now. Okay, yeah. This is so, my yeah. first job, but a lot of learning <laughs> oh, in the process. Yeah. So, two years is definitely a long time, mm. which makes you a perfect person to ask. The first question What is a refugee? So,
1: a refugee is essentially mm. an individual who has been forced out of their country uh, due to being a victim um, of mm-hmm. persecution or, or really extreme discrimination in a lot of forms of violence. And usually, this goes by definition. Um, by UNHCR Malaysia. So refugees are those who are registered under UNHCR Malaysia. That's the United Nations High Commissioner of Refugees. Mm,
0: And then what does the UNHCR do? UNHCR depends
1: on where it's uh, currently operating. So countries that have signed on to the convention relating to refugees have a little bit more more space to operate or sometimes even less depending on how much um, how much work does the country itself do, the host countries? Uh, so for example, Malaysia um, does not officially recognize refugees because not signing on to the convention. Mm. So UNHCR then functions with a bit more limited resources because of that, but also then has to fill up the gaps where the government does not assist the refugees. Mm-hmm. So these can be, first at the first instant would be the refugee status determination. So someone who comes in the country seeking for asylum will go through under an interview process to make sure oh, you fit these definitions and therefore you're a refugee. Then they are allowed to have some of the services that you need to have. So it could be sexual and gender-based violence mm. response services, um, depending on a variety of things, again, on the country. It might be assistance um, in terms of maybe some of them might have employment services. Mm. Um, otherwise, for children, they might help Learning centers in countries to sustain itself, uh, trainings for young leaders or women, uh, more community leaders in general.
0: Yeah, okay, so refugees are essentially people who are persecuting conflict and they have reached our country. And a big part of this picture is UNHCR, which officially gives them refugee status, Mm -hmm. but the duties of UNHCR vary by country depending on the work that that country does. All right, Uh, so. Besides refugees, another other like communities of, I guess you could say foreigners in our country include migrant workers mm-hmm. uh, and asylum seekers is another term that we hear. Could you tell us what is an economic migrant, what, what I referred what I meant by when I said uh, migrant worker? What is an economic migrant and what is an asylum seeker and what's the difference between all of these okay. communities?
1: I think from our experience, we find that a lot of people aren't unable to distinguish the difference between an economic migrant as well Mm. as a refugee. So an economic migrant is someone who has migrated to another country, apart from their own, for um, employment reasons, and that would be, for example, here in Malaysia, people coming from Bangladesh, uh, maybe from Cambodia, uh, from Indonesia. Uh, but the difference between them and a refugee is that a refugee does migrate as well, but not for the main purpose of employment, but because they are seeking a safe, um, safe place away mm-hmm. from the conflict. On the other hand, asylum seekers, um, usually to be a refugee, you have to go through the stage of being an asylum seeker first. So, for example, uh, I came from a different country of origin, I go into Malaysia because I have experienced violence or persecution from my government. I go into Malaysia and then I seek for asylum. I apply for that and in Malaysia, I would do that through UNHCR. Mm. So at that moment, I am an asylum seeker. Mm. So the, the grounds on which determine whether I'm a refugee or not have not been established just yet. I'm still in the process of being interviewed. And then the moment that they say, yes, you fill all these criteria, then you become a refugee.
0: Mm, I see. So asylum seekers are essentially refugees to be, or people mm, are seeking refugee yes. status. Yes. Ah, I see, see. And why is it important for us to know these differences? Why is it important for us to be able to distinguish between the concept of a refugee and an economic migrant? For
1: economic migrants, um, in, in Tananganita, we are mm. of an opinion where they do contribute a lot to the economy. Um, and therefore there are certain laws that apply to them like the Employment Act um, under some Immigration Acts and whatnot but then they come in to to stimulate our economy, to bring Mm -hmm. back to their own countries and whatnot. So they serve a different purpose than refugees. Refugees Mm -hmm. are there, and I would see it more as a humanitarian issue that we need Mm -hmm. to address. They might not be here at the first instance to stimulate our economy in the same way that migrants do, not primarily to hold jobs um, that Malaysians aren't able to fill Mm -hmm. in the labour market, but because they're here, because they need a safe place. Mm -hmm. So it's important because they are facing a lot of conflict, they're facing a lot of challenges and issues, um, some of them are stateless. Maybe their their own countries um, don't recognize them as nationals there. So they're in a state of limbo most of the time. Mm-hmm. And that is where our humanitarian assistance, being able to empathize with their situation and give them um, whatever that we can in terms of resources and assistance to do. In, in that period of transition from their country of origin to now in the transition country, like Malaysia, and then hopefully into resettlement, or one day mm. if their country of origin becomes safe enough for them to return um, as a, a repatriated individual.
0: Mm. Let's go on more about that. So, if a refugee has reached Malaysia, what are the options open to that refugee? Like, do they stay in Malaysia? Do they move on to a third mm. country? or?
1: So it's quite tricky, uh, firstly, because Malaysia is in a signatory to the 1951 Refugee mm-hmm. Convention. So essentially, our country doesn't legally recognize in these individuals as someone who has valid claims to run away. And for some reason, we just don't we that that's a black spot, That's a blind spot in our heads. And because of that, then we see them as undocumented individuals. Mm-hmm um so because when they're here we are not seen as a resettlement country mm. we're not willing to take them in as citizens or even give them a pr and whatnot mm. so then as a refugee they have two options to go forward or then to go backwards so if their countries are safe enough then they would be repatriated back repatriated back home but if um they are lucky enough because only one percent of the refugee population actually That's gets resettled world. yeah and uh, it also determines on on the group some groups are experiencing much more severe conflicts than others mm-hmm. much a lot more struggle in returning back home mm-hmm. and then there's the vulnerable groups perhaps single mothers mm-hmm. uh, women who are fleeing from sexual and gender-based violence at very extreme levels or children who have no parents and who really need the opportunity to go to a third country Mm -hmm. and these countries are usually like uh, America, Canada, Australia and a few European countries maybe you know South Korea takes a small portion of them Mm -hmm. Uh, but we're also seeing that a lot more of these countries are reducing the numbers especially America Um, so that creates a huge issue on how how exactly are we addressing this humanitarian crisis uh, collectively.
0: What laws affect this population, the refugee population? It sounds like it definitely is a global issue, clearly, because it's international, but what laws affect them both internationally and domestically within our country?
1: Perhaps not exactly a law, but then the UN Convention relating to the status of refugees. Mm -hmm. um, That itself is a UN Convention that if a country signs onto it, then you recognize that there are. fleeing from conflict and persecution in certain countries Mm -hmm. and then when they reach your shores then you should consider giving them um, asylum Mm -hmm. to legally recognize them as such Um, here in Malaysia however we don't it's hard to say about what laws exactly affect these refugees at the current moment because you're seen as undocumented individuals so it's only the immigration laws that affect Mm -hmm. them to say you're undocumented therefore you have no right I don't like this term, we don't ever use it, but illegal. Mm. You're an illegal person within this country, so you have no claim, no right to seek employment, mm. uh, no right to access public facilities like mm. hospitals, uh, no right to education. But here in Malaysia, even though we haven't legally recognized them or signed the convention, there are also certain grey areas. So those with UNHCR cards, when immigration officers or police officers see that card, um, most often than not they will see that as a legal document Mm. but then sometimes by law they are also allowed to arrest you because that is not a recognized document as well in Malaysia Um, and that makes it very difficult for them to ever get legal employment Um, and also quite concerning is their access to education Mm. uh, where because they don't have the valid documents. They are not on a valid visa. Entry into any academic institution is close impossible for them.
0: Mm. So on average, refugees spend a long time in Malaysia, mm. I suppose, because that number for resettlement—that one percent resettlement rate—that yep. uh, rate, was the resettlement rate from Malaysia. No, no, that, no that's oh, okay. the whole entire oh global
1: refugee see, population. Let's see, let's see. Only one percent, and then also Malaysia sometimes does not. It's a smaller number from Malaysia. Mm. Uh, versus if you're trying to get, uh refugees from Turkey, you know, somewhere where the region is much more erratic. Maybe there are certain groups that are prioritized, certain regions that are prioritized over mm-hmm. versus Malaysia, I guess, depending on how, how alarming um, does this, do these realities look like for, you know, UN HESIA or the UN uh, Human Rights Council to see, mm-hmm. are these people going to be safe here? Um, and let's get out the people who are who have the most potential to be resettled, the most vulnerable. Um, but then you were asking about the, how, how long were the, some of them yeah. have been staying here for, for a very long time. Depends. Um, certain groups have been here for much longer than others. For example, the Rohingya. We have some who have been here for three generations, uh, for many decades. Uh, the next group would be the Myanmar ethnic community. Mm. So you have on average here for 10 years. Mm. Uh, we have a lot of refugee children being born here or spending over half or two-thirds of their life here in mm. Malaysia. Then you might have some who have been here for a bit shorter of a time, maybe um, four or five years, such as Assyrians, Palestinians, mm. and then you have new incoming ones from perhaps countries like Sri
0: Lanka and Pakistan. See, see, see. So we're beginning to get a, a picture through our conversation of the refugee community in Malaysia, and they include people from Myanmar, Rohingyans, and also people from the Middle East. Mm. Um, so can you tell us about that? Um, what does the refugee what nationalities I suppose does the Malaysian refugee community comprise of? The Malaysian refugee community. Meaning Ah, the refugee communities in in Malaysia. Malaysia. They're not not Malaysian. Um, (laughs) They're in Malaysia. So
1: so mostly the biggest population are those from Myanmar. Mm -hmm. And this one's a bit of tricky when you say like which nationality they come from. Because for example the Rohingyas are not legally seen as yeah. Myanmar nationals, so yeah. they come from Myanmar um, but then most Myanmar ethnic communities do have a Myanmar nationality as well. Um, otherwise, I believe the next groups would be, and because that's at 80% mm. so then you've got the 20% which is a more or less equal mix of those from Afghanistan, mm. uh, from Syria, from Palestine, Sri Lanka, uh, Pakistan. Uh, small like
0: maybe a few hundreds or 10 or 20 here and there of other groups. Mm, So we have this population in our country and not all of them are going to be settled. In fact very little of them are going to be settled so they're like uh, we have to understand that they are a semi-permanent part I suppose of Malaysian Mm -hmm. community. So why is it important for us to be thinking about refugees and refugee communities in Malaysia as Malaysians Mm -hmm. would you say? Me, I think you, you answered
1: part of that yeah, I with, guess. with your question already. <laughs> the fact that they're yeah. here for such a long time mm. anyway, but um, I think when we try to address this issue with Malaysians who are not very forthcoming with the idea of accepting and recognizing refugees, their argument has always been because there are Malaysians who are still marginalized, there are Malaysians living on mm. the poverty line, and therefore our resources should not be focused on assisting these outsiders, yeah. right? Um, but I, while we definitely acknowledge that, then it boils down to compassion and empathy as well. Mm. I think maybe it's hard for us sometimes as Malaysians to see the value in this because for so long we've not endured violent conflict. Mm. We've had our human rights for for decades now. Nothing like that has been questioned at the same level that a lot of these refugees have experienced in their countries of origin. So sometimes I believe it's hard for us to connect the dots. And then again, it goes back to we can't distinguish between an economic migrant and a refugee. Mm. But when you don't recognize the flight of refugees in their home country, as well as when they're here, um, you're essentially saying that uh, adults should not be given the right to support their families legally. Mm. Right? Um, we expect them to not have jobs and not rob people, not mm. go into crime, And um, that is where we need to ask ourselves, does that make any sense at all? Mm. That we're not willing to give them charity programs where we give them handouts, cash handouts to support themselves, but not also give them the opportunity to to find their own means of livelihood. Mm. If we don't address the refugee issue, we are saying that uh, the tens of thousands of children here should not be given access to education. And that's the reality that's happening. Um, With those two big issues, you are also seeing a lot of youth and children not going to schools anyway, Mm -hmm. um, or learning centers, which already have quite a lot of challenges. And these they stop going to these learning centers and end up working. Mm -hmm. And then access to healthcare, we need to realize that this is also part of a bigger picture. Public health is also at risk. If you want to also look at it from a very self-centered way and think about no Malaysians first, then you also must realize that the health of refugees does affect the health of as well, how much money are we putting out when we don't allow refugees to have um, legal employment? They are they're getting they're taking jobs anyway, and they're going to be illegal jobs. These are going to be unregulated employment, so we don't know how many are employed in which sector, and these employers are earning a certain amount of money and and paying off a certain amount of money. These are unregulated things that money that's going in and out that we don't even know that we're not Mm. accounting for Mm. and then that's a loss of tax revenues if you want to be very technical as well if you give them the right to work if you give the kids right to education that can actually lead to conversions for economy Mm. they can actually start paying taxes that help contribute to making our public infrastructure better Mm. especially hospitals that they are going to anyway
0: Yeah. So now we're talking about refugees as a potential positive contributor to the Malaysian society, right? Um, I think that's an important thing to talk about because we encounter perceptions of refugees. As you said, people Mm -hmm. confuse them with economic migrants and the perceptions around economic migrants are also quite problematic as well. Um, I, I would, you probably, know this as well but like the uh, perceptions that we come across are maybe they are uh, charity cases Mm -hmm. right Uh, they're dirty maybe images of that Um, they are a a burden on our resources Mm -hmm. but the points that you brought up are really important for us to counter those prejudices but also how about how organized they are Mm -hmm. like the refugee communities here because I guess when you imagine refugees you don't really imagine them as organized communities you imagine them as people trying to get by in Malaysia doing whatever, and you imagine them as individuals and as families, mm-hmm. I suppose. But as I have encountered with you, refugees are quite organized. Can you tell us a bit about that? Okay,
1: so because there's such a lack of services and support from the government, mm-hmm. and there's only so much that NGOs can also do, um, there's, and especially within NGO work, it's important that, you know, as they say, don't give a man a fish, but teach him mm-hmm. how to fish. Um, We often see refugees as charity cases, as, you know, people with issues that we have to take on on to ourselves. But we don't realize that they're very resilient and very resourceful Mm. and we've seen that with a lot of communities. So the communities that I work with, the Myanmar Ethnic, um, they've organized really well over the last decade. They form community organizations that provide services uh, where gaps of assistance are. Mm. So they do things like mobile clinics into rural areas they do youth programs because there's a huge issue about education for refugees. Um, then you have the women's group who realize there is such a limited access of justice for women who endure sexual and gender-based violence, so then they are also developing a response to that that's community-based, creating skill building classes, yeah. and working in partnership with any other individual who's able to share those talents and skills um, or other
0: organizations as well. Mm, I see. And I know this was in, in our like prep. But I kind of want to explore the idea of complexity of refugee communities because one accusation I mm. think that comes from Malaysian society sometimes when we're trying to uh, advocate for refugee communities is the fact that you know there are bad seats within those communities too. Uh, in terms of trafficking you will find Rohingya traffickers mm. maybe or in Cox Bazaar at the moment. Um, it's a very deeply patriarchal a community sometimes so like I find that that is used as ammunition to why we shouldn't be prior or like we shouldn't give so much attention to providing them mm-hmm. rights in our country what would be your response to that or do they still deserve our advocacy despite those complexities mm-hmm. okay um
1: something that happened today that also got us thinking about Even if, say, you're a police officer Mm -hmm. and you find a criminal who you know is is guilty of something, Mm -hmm. you don't have the right to smack the guy. You have to Mm -hmm. still treat him like a human being because regardless of wherever you came from, whatever you did, you still are given your human rights, right? And I think there are bad seeds and good seeds, everything, you know? The Malaysian community is not free of our very uh, shameful Mm -hmm. individuals as well. and it goes back to also the basic human rights, um, at the end of the day, under the U- Universal Declaration of Human Rights, as a member state of the UN and as some as a country who has signed on to that declaration, we are obliged to to give human rights to any person as long as they're a human being. and regardless of the immigration status, regardless of the nationality. Even within our constitution, that doesn't talk about citizens per se, also talks about making sure that everyone in our country has certain access to basic human rights as well. Maybe not in, in those exact terms, mm. but, but the things that we outline in our constitution about mm. what, what should be given
0: to people within this country um, also include a lot of those human rights. Mm, I see. So. That's what you're prioritizing as your as for your advocacy efforts. Could you tell us like what are your, what are you prioritizing for your campaign? I suppose for the refugee campaign. right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we, along with the refugee community, mm-hmm. getting their
1: insights. The the list is endless about what the challenges is. Mm-hmm. The most pertinent uh, to to their livelihood would be the right to work, um, the right to education, and the right to accessible and quality healthcare. Because while they do have access to healthcare institutions, um, provided they have the right documentation, um, we still see it as very unaffordable rates mm. and sometimes they face a lot of discrimination and moral practice. Uh, being used as guinea pigs, um, being given medicine or being uh, having used syringes, uh, needles in, used on them, it's, it's not uncommon because mm. of the status xenophobic, discrimination, just in general. But I think all those three issues that we're trying to address falls under the need of just legal recognition. Mm. You can't get any of these three without just your country saying that, yes, I recognize that you are here as a refugee and giving you a certain piece of paper that allows you to access all these facilities, um, all these infrastructures and social services um, as they documented the individuals in, in Malaysia. Mm
0: see. Okay, thank you very much. I think we can start recapping and let's just summarize I suppose the important points of what we have talked about mm-hmm. so far. So refugees are people perse- uh, fleeing persecution in their country of origin. Uh, there are there are many in Malaysia. What, what is the number? I think at the
1: moment it's about 170,000 uh, refugees and asylum seekers.
0: Mm, and Malaysia doesn't domestically resettle refugees. Mm. We allow the UNHCR to put them through the process of being resettled to a third country. Yet, because the rates of resettlement are very low, and that depends on international mm. foreign policy, de- other countries like how many refugees they will they're willing to take. There is still a large population of. Um, refugees that don't or are still waiting to be resettled Mm -hmm. in our country. And while they're living in our country, you mentioned that they don't have the right to employment, they don't have access to affordable and quality health care, and they don't have access to public education. So those are the priorities that uh, we as a Malaysian society should of, should give to them because we must recognize that they are part of us or they are a, they are a community that has a certain difficult circumstances that we have the responsibility to help. Yep. Is there anything else to... Just because they're human beings.
1: Yeah. So, and therefore, they should be given a life of dignity mm-hmm.
0: and respect at the very least. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right, yeah. Any last? Uh, any mm-hmm. final? We've covered almost everything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but just for...
1: For Malaysians who ever come Mm -hmm. across this podcast or this video um, to think about while we do prioritize assisting our own Malaysians Mm -hmm. who are suffering through a lot, we have to ask ourselves, when is enough ever enough? Are we waiting for Malaysia to be completely perfect because having Mm a 0% unemployment rate, a 0% poverty rate is going to be very hard, you know, not with the kind of policies we have and it's going to take forever so in that process do we just ignore the people who really need our help and as as malaysia a lot of malaysians know that we do have and a lot of things brewing under the surface Mm -hmm. that at any moment we could actually experience conflict of our own Mm -hmm. and when we become refugees god forbid that we do but if we do um how can we expect anyone else to give us any humanitarian um, assistance or compassion when we Do nothing for those who are asking for that help right now. Mm.
0: All right, thank you so much, Alice. Thank you you for joining me. You've been listening to Invisible Malaysia, a podcast about refugees produced by Tinaganita. Efforts like this rely on support from people like you. Help ensure continued support for marginalized communities by donating to Tinaganita through PayPal at www.tinaganita.net. Or find our bank information on our Facebook page. This podcast could not have been produced without the help of the Naganita interns and others, particularly Hawa Hussein and Sandra Lam. I'm Nadine Faisal. Thank you so much for listening.